Um, we're 10 weeks in on this, this series, The Pursuit. And I, this, if you've been at Alpine for any length of time, you, you've heard us talk about The Pursuit. Uh, maybe you've done it in a small group or in a mentoring relationship. But this is really kind of our, our mantra here. We believe, uh, at, we pursue so many things in life. We pursue so many things in life. And here at Alpine, we believe that pursuing God is by far the most important decision we can make, the most important thing we can pursue in our life. And I've just been, uh, in preparing for today's message, I, I was just going back over my journey. I grew up, uh, born and raised here in Utah, grew up in a, a different faith, and I spent the first 30 years of my life in that faith where I was really just checking boxes to earn God's favor. That's really all that, that I was doing in that. And so about 12 years ago, uh, I came to Alpine for the first time, went to the Layton campus, and uh, something happened there that I'd never experienced before. I started a relationship with Jesus, which was mind-blowing because after 30 years of, of going to church, you would think that, that I would have had that already, but, but I didn't. I had no idea. I had no idea what that looked like. And so I started this relationship with, with Jesus, and I started thinking about everybody who was part of that journey in my life, who had really taken the time to disciple me, right? And so I think about uh, Pastor G was there. This was a long time ago. Pastor G's been at Alpine for a long time. He might be uh, a new face for some of you here at West Haven, but man, that guy knows how to love people. He knows how to encourage people. And he did that for my wife and I for this, this, this we're, we're on this new journey together, experiencing this newfound freedom in Christ, and we weren't really sure what to do with that, and Pastor G came alongside of us and, and, and helped us navigate that. Pastor Scott and Pastor Ross were, were crucial in my journey. Uh, Pastor Scott was the one who I could really, I had, I had really weird theological questions, of course, coming from another faith, and so I could bounce, bounce them off him. He would be the one that I would uh, text at 1 a.m. in the morning, just like I couldn't, I couldn't go to sleep because I had this crazy question on my mind, and I would, I would text Pastor Scott, and he would text me back. I didn't do that with Pastor Ross. I don't think he's seen 1 a.m. in probably 40 years, so... Um, <laughs> But Pastor Ross was, he was the one who helped, he, he mentored me through all of my schooling, uh, and he really just helped me focus on ministry. And so maybe you're thinking, wow, you had a lot of pastors pour into your life, but there was just one normal Joe Schmo Schmuck, okay, that poured into my life. Uh, I, I joined the Alpine softball team and very quickly became friends with Jake Mayfield. You might know him, uh, he did attend West Haven for a little bit. Um, but he, he took an opportunity uh, as, as, our, as our relationship grew to really speak into my life and to challenge me. He told me things that you would never, or he said things to me that you would never say to someone unless you genuinely care about them and their relationship with God. So he challenged me, he offended me, uh, and he helped me grow all at the same time. And so I think about all these people who poured into my life who were part of my discipleship, and, and, and so I want to first challenge you guys to, to think about two questions, okay? The first question is, who would you name? Who would you name that, that, that was or is pivotal in your walk with Jesus, in your pursuit of God? And second, who would name you? Who would name you? Is, is there anybody who, who's, whose story you would factor into as being key in uh, helping them pursue God? And so that's what we talk about. We talk about this full circle pursuit of God. Right, and so let's just real quick recap where we've been. The first three weeks aren't really part of the circle. They're kind of introing us into that. And so we uh, talked about how God is pursuing us, right? Even before we, we think about pursuing God, even before we, uh, having a relationship with him is a thought in our mind, God is already pursuing us. And then we talked about the Bible, 
How the Bible, the validity of the Bible, the accuracy, is it trustworthy? Yes, it is, right? And then we talked about uh, that every single person is made in the image of God, right? Mago Dei. That means every single person has worth, has dignity, simply because they're made in the image of God. And that should change the way we treat people, to change the way that we interact with people. And then we moved into this first part of the circle, right? We talked about uh, where we, what it looks like to trust Jesus. And we introed that part, that was those first three weeks, with sin. This problem that all of humanity has, right? Every single one of us have this, this problem. And sin is just when we do our own thing instead of God's thing. We go our own way instead, instead of God's way, right? And, and sin is, is uh, very detrimental to us because it breaks our relationship with God. God is completely and perfectly holy. He can't be in the midst of sin. So the sin in our lives prevents us from being in relationship with God. So we we talked about sin. And then we talked about Jesus and what he did, who he is, and what he did about our sin problem. Okay, And And then we just talked about what it looks like when you give your life over to Jesus. Now we finally moved into that, that second uh, phase, that second arrow of honoring God, and we, we started with baptism. Amen. We started with baptism, right? Because baptism, when we trust Jesus, we do what he says. And one of the things that Jesus asked us to do, one of the things he commanded us to do was get baptized, and so we focused on baptism. Then we talked about the three kind of key ingredients that we need in our, in our life. We need God's spirit, we need God's word, and we need God's people. Okay, if we are going to live a life that honors God, we have to have those three things. And then finally, last week, we talked about these five spiritual habits that we need in our life. Uh, Again, if we're going to live a life that honors God, we need prayer, we need Bible study, okay, we need connection, we need giving, and we need mentoring, okay, or what Jesus calls disciple making. And so wherever you're at uh, in that circle, if you come back to those two questions, okay, if you're at that first part in trusting Jesus, who's helping you to trust Jesus? And then the flip side of that is who have you helped to trust Jesus? If you're on the honoring God, who's helping you to honor God in your life? Who have you helped to honor God? And then we get finally to this uh, finale, the, the third topic in the series, or the third arrow in the series, where we're talking specifically about making disciples. Okay, making disciples. And just as a surprise for you guys, this is our, our final message in the series. And maybe you're thinking, wait, there's 12 topics in this series. Yeah, there is, so we're not, we're not going to let you guys down. We figured that uh, on this 10th series, or this 10th message, we would give you more information on why we do this. But on the last two, we want to give you uh, a how to do this. And so we want to do uh, a class. Okay, we're going to do a couple of classes, kind of workshop style for you guys, of how we make disciples. And there happens to be one of those classes today after the second service, uh, 1230, here at the West Haven campus. So uh, I would just encourage uh, anybody who wants to grow in their faith to, to if you haven't been to a disciple-making class yet, to go and, and, and take that class. And so the thing is, Jesus calls us to make disciples, and since that's not always the, the norm in, in churches, many Christians have never really considered that. That that's, that's where we're supposed to go. We don't, we don't stop before we get to that point. And so that's, that's, that's really not the finish line that Jesus had in mind when, it, when he called us to make disciples. And so uh, we, want, we want to make sure you guys understand why we do it, and then we want to make sure you understand and you have the information of how we do that. And so uh, today's final message in the series is, is why make disciples? Why do we make disciples? And so the big idea here really is... I've talked to so many people who would say, I can't, I can't make a disciple. I can't mentor someone because I'm not mature enough in my own faith. 
right? And, and, and maybe you've thought that before, like you're not far enough along, you haven't, you haven't done enough, you don't know enough Bible verses for, uh, to be able to, to mentor someone, but here's what's crazy about it is the Bible completely contradicts that, that teaching, right? We think that we need to mature enough before we mentor somebody, but the Bible says, no, that's how you mature. That's how you grow in your faith is by mentoring someone else, by teaching someone else. I, if you've heard the term or, or the phrase, if you want to learn, teach. Okay, and that is so true, especially when, you, when we talk about our walk, our, our faith journey. Like if you want to learn more about God, then teach. Okay, whether that's in a mentoring relationship, in a small group, in kids' church, whatever that looks like, teach. And you will grow. You will learn more as you do that. And so I'm going to give you guys three reasons why we should be focused on this idea of making disciples, okay? The first reason we make disciples is because Jesus said so, okay? We make disciples because Jesus said so. Now, I want to make sure that you understand what we mean when we talk about making disciples, okay? We're talking about walking people through that full, that full circle, okay? That, that full, we're, we're, make, we're, we're helping them to become full circle, circle followers of Jesus. And so that might mean they're at the very beginning. We are just on that first arrow and we are just introducing them to Jesus. They know nothing about Jesus. They've never, they've never heard of what he's done for them. Okay. And so we're just introducing them to Jesus. We might be uh, helping them live to honor God, helping them understand what that looks like. Or they might be ready for us to come alongside them and help them to, uh, to see what it looks like to take somebody else through the pursuit. Right? To, to help somebody else start to live a life that honors Jesus. And so that's one of the things we do here at Alpine Church. That's our main focus is we make disciples. Now, I want to be clear that when I say we, I mean me and you. Okay? Not just the generic church. When we say here at Alpine Church, we make disciples. That doesn't mean everybody else is out there doing it, but it doesn't apply to you. Okay? When I say we, it's all of us. Every single one of us should be making disciples disciples. Jesus in the, in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, he says this. He says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So you are authorized by Jesus himself, who has all authority, okay? And his authority, it, it means two things. It means Jesus is el jefe, right? Jesus is the boss. So when the boss says what to do, that's, that's, that's what we do. The boss tells us what to do, we do that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it's not just a command to obey. Like Jesus is actually uh, investing in you with authority. He's giving you the authority to do that. So a great illustration is like a police officer, Right, a police officer, they, they, they chase down the speeders, they arrest criminals, right? And they don't do that on their own authority. They do that on the authority that the government has given them, right? And likewise, we have been given the authority by Jesus to go out and make disciples. Now, what I really like about this verse is, is that the whole, the full circle, right, our full pursuit circle is found in this verse. So if we look about trusting Jesus, it says to go out and baptize them, to go out and baptize them, right? And so when we, when we step out, when we go out and, and get baptized, we are honoring Jesus because we're doing what he says. And so that's basically, in a nutshell, that's what a life of obedience looks like, is following what Jesus has told us to do, right? It's not just about head knowledge. It doesn't say to go out and, and teach them to know and to understand what I've said. 
right? Because it's, it's not just about head knowledge. Knowing and understanding what Jesus said isn't the goal. Obeying what Jesus said is how we honor God with our lives. But again, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop just by knowing what Jesus said. We can't be satisfied with that. And so uh, Jesus says that we, we need to honor God. So we go out there or we need, to, we, we need to listen and obey the things that he's given us. And so he says, go and make uh, or go and observe the things that I have commanded you. Go and observe the things that I have commanded you. So this is what we do. We, it, it's, it, again, it's not about the knowledge. It's not about, it's not about knowing the things that Jesus has said, but we want to teach them to obey. And then finally, Jesus says, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. So here's where it comes full circle, because teaching a person to obey what Jesus has commanded us, it, it involves multiple things. It's not only moral improvement, okay? It's not only church activity and being involved in the things that are going on in church, but it clearly involves this initial command to go and make disciples. If we aren't teaching people to do that, if we aren't teaching people how to do that, then we aren't really making disciples ourselves. We call it the pursue God circle, but it's really more of, a, of an interconnection of circles, right? I, kind of, I like to think of like the Olympic symbol, right? Because you, you're going full circle, you bring somebody else in, you teach them, they're going full circle, but you're still connected to them, and so on and so on and so on. So 10 rings, 50 rings, 100 ring, rings later, you're still connected to that person just simply by what you did at the beginning up here. And then we're all connected as one body in Christ. But the circle continues to go forward in someone else's life. So that's the first reason. We make disciples because Jesus said so. The second reason we make disciples is because people are supposed to do the work. People are supposed to do the work, okay? Not just the pastors. If we were to do uh, a quiz and ask people what they think pastors are supposed to do, what their job description is, it would be things like uh, preaching God's word, performing marriages, providing counseling, presiding over funeral services, mentoring the congregation, prov providing for the widow, the orphan, those in need, maintaining and running the church, teaching children how to grow up and be godly, visiting and praying with the sick in the hospital, right? The list goes on and on and on. And those are all great things that a pastor can do, but those aren't necessarily the, the biblical job description of a pastor. If we look in the Bible, we actually find a biblical job description. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So in our culture, we look at these, these gifts that, that, that God has given us, right? And we look at the people that he lists there, and you can really look at that. Uh, that's, that's like the church staff, okay, the people who are listed up there. And it's not, it's not really that simple, but these are really the, the primary spiritual leaders. And so what's their job? The responsibility is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Not to do the work, but to equip the people to do the work. So in our culture, uh, most people say the pastor's main job is, is to preach, okay? And there is absolutely a, a role for preaching. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, uh, that he, he left Timothy in charge. He's a young man, a young pastor. He's leading this church in Ephesus. And Paul tells him to preach the word of God. So there absolutely is a role for preaching in, in the pastor's job description. Is the, the problem is, is that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, the pastor gets up there and preaches. Okay, the congregation spectates. 
and then they get in their car and discuss what they're going to have for lunch, and that's the end of it. I think a lot of people would also say that the pastor's main job is to, to keep the wheels of the organization turning. And so we have all kinds of different programs that we do, right, for, for kids or for outreach or for teenagers, for recovery. We have all, all these different programs that are going on, hoping that, the, that we can continue to, to grow. But the Bible says that the pastor's main job is to help God's people do the work. To help God's people do the work that he has given them. Pastors do that by encouraging, by casting vision, by recruiting and training, by challenging people, helping them grow. See, it's not uncommon uh, in our culture to hear people say, that's the pastor's job. Well, that's why we have a pastor, especially when there's some ministry that that nobody wants to do, right? Ah, the, The pastor will take care of it. Pastor's got that one. But no Christian should just be a spectator. Okay, that, that's completely unbiblical. No Christian should just be a spectator. And that's why so many Christians aren't growing in their faith. That's why so many pastors are, are, are worn out. I, I want to challenge you guys, like, think about the stereotypes about what you think pastors are supposed to do versus what you are supposed to do as a believer, as a follower in Christ. Okay, to challenge you guys to, to think about what that, that looks like. And so uh, Ephesians gives us kind of a general principle, but let me give you a more specific application. This is also from the New Testament, from Paul's encouragement uh, to Timothy. It's in the same chapter that he talks about uh, telling, Tim, or telling Timothy to go out and preach the word. Now remember, this, this letter was written uh, by Paul from prison. Okay, so these are really the last words, the last instruction, instructions that he's going to be giving to Timothy because this is, this is not his first time in prison, but this time he knows that at the end of this pr- prison sentence, is, is, death is waiting for him. So these are some of the last words he says. So he says this, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to, full, to faithful men. So everything that you've heard from me, entrust that to faithful men who will then be able to teach others also. So this explains in part how, how pastors equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church. We, we, we mentor people one-on-one with the idea being that those people will then begin to mentor others, who will then mentor others, who will then mentor others, and so on and, and so on, and we call this spiritual reproduction, okay? A pastor's ultimate goal is to reproduce himself spiritually in others, so that then those people will then reproduce themselves spiritually in others. Now, there was a, a few years back, uh, Willow Creek was one of the most uh, prominent churches in America, and they did a study. They hired a company to come in and do a study, um, an internal study. And this, this church had everything. Okay, maybe you've heard of, of Willow Creek before, but they had, uh, their pastor was one of the greatest communicators. Okay, they had uh, just incredible worship and, and presentations every Sunday. They had classes with teachers who everybody loved. They had a massive network of, of small groups. And, and so this study, what it discovered is that the, their people weren't really growing in their, in their faith, in their, in their maturity. In fact, many who had been pretty heavily involved in the church's programs were either stalled in their Christian growth, or they were completely dissatisfied. And these were people who, who were strong stage two Christians, okay? They were living to honor God. And so what happened? What went wrong? Why were they stalled and dissatisfied? What the study leads us to believe is that, that after a while, okay, people get bored with church, 
Okay, we can see that. We understand that. that, that after a while, like you've heard so many sermons you, on one specific topic, you can name 10 sermons that you've heard, right? They've done uh, the, the coffee team, the clean team, the usher greeter team, right? They've, they've done their time in prison. Uh, no, kids' church. Sorry, they've done their time in kids' church. And I totally just play. Kids' church is amazing. You guys should definitely do kids' church, okay? Uh, but so what's left, right? What, what's left? The problem is the church was relying on programs to disciple people. It was relying just simply on their programs to disciple people instead of inviting people to step up and disciple people. Okay, they were missing out. Like they, 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 the people who are, are actively helping others pursue God don't get bored with the Christian life. If you are actively helping someone else pursue God, you do not get bored with the Christian life. Those people have discovered the highest purpose in life. They're, 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 they're not content just to let the pastors do it. When you sit on the sidelines, you're not just uh, like getting God's plan backwards. You're missing out on what gives life to the Christian life. You're completely missing out on your purpose, on your calling. Okay, but we, we know, we understand that, that making disciples is not just about what makes your Christian life satisfying, okay? It's not just about, about you. We all, we all get that. So here's, here's the final point. The third reason that we make disciples is because the crowds are confused and helpless. The crowds, the masses are confused and helpless. Jesus saw that and it motivated him. Matthew chapter 9, starting verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. So Jesus, he gives us this, this great analogy here of, of sheep without a shepherd. Now, not all of us have, have seen that. Not all of us knows exactly what that looks like. But what most of us have seen is three and four-year-olds playing soccer. Where it's just a disaster, right? And it's just wherever the ball goes, the whole pack of kids goes. And you can just follow it around like, like a video game. And the goalie's watching butterflies, chasing butterflies. And pretty soon, everybody's chasing butterflies, right? Like, we, all of us have seen that. And so we understand that, that is that, what that looks like. Three and four-year-olds playing soccer is a lot like sheep without a shepherd. And here's the sad thing is, like, if we just look at our culture and society, it looks like a bunch of three and four-year-olds playing soccer, like, we are literally just waiting for the next, like, ridiculous idea so that people can chase it around like a three-year-old chasing a soccer ball. Like, I don't, I, I, I just definitely, I don't want this to be a political statement in any way, but I, yesterday I saw an advertisement from Boston Children's Hospital, and they were advertising full-on hysterectomies for young girls wanting to transition. And again, this isn't a political statement. This is just what is happening. What is going on in our world? Like we are lost and we need Jesus. And so Jesus looks out and he, he sees this group of people who are confused and helpless. And it's exactly what we see when we look out in the world today. We see people who are confused and they need truth. People who are helpless and, and they need direction and strength to, to stay on that path, to stay on the right path. They are like sheep without a shepherd. They need guidance. They need care. And here's the thing is we can't be fooled by outward appearances, okay? People might look like they have it all together when in reality it's, they're, not even, they're not even close. And Jesus' response to that is that people need a shepherd. He looks out and he sees the confusion and the helplessness and he says they need a shepherd, 
The field is ripe and ready for harvest, and we need the workers. And so Jesus says, wait, I'm the good shepherd. I need to do more. No. He says, let's pray for more people, for more shepherds. See, as great as church programs are, as great as ministries are, people need other people to personally care about them to help them process truth, to apply it in their lives. And so Jesus calls us to pray for those workers. In the very next verse in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus, it says that Jesus sent his followers out among the crowds to do what they had seen Jesus himself doing. So all along, the, the workers, the, the ones that he was praying for, they were already there. They're already here. They're sitting in the chairs on Sunday morning at church. The workers are here. We just need to understand what Jesus is calling us to do, understand why we do it, and understand how we do it. I'm going to close with a story of, of one, of my, um, one of my friends. So she, she lives in, in Haiti, and so we're not, uh, we don't get to talk every day, but, but her name is, is Christy Montpremier. And you might have met her we, in one of the Alpine galas that we did here. So they, her and her husband, John John, run the ministry uh, in uh, United Christians International in, in Haiti. And so we, we sponsor them here at Alpine Church. And so uh, some of you may have, have met her before. But, but I, I share this. This isn't a love story about Christy and John John. This is about Christy, uh, just a, a young girl from Iowa who goes on a mission trip to Haiti. And she has medical training, medical background, and she sees a need in Haiti. And so what she ends up doing, she goes there, she, she meets a guy, she falls in love. Okay, so it is kind of a love story, right? But they move back there. She, she uproots and, and changes everything about her lifestyle, where she lives, leaves all her family and friends behind. She, and they go and they start this ministry in Haiti. And this ministry is, is literally discipling a nation. They have a kindergarten, an elementary, a junior high, a high school. They have a university on their campus. They have feeding centers. They're building homes. They're bringing clean water, clean drinking water. To, and you can literally feel the difference. When you enter this area where their ministry has touched, you can feel a difference. You can see God's work there because they have nothing else. So to them, God is everything. And this all started with just a normal young lady sitting in church Right? She goes on a mission trip, and she sees a need, and she says, I can fill that need. And so what I, I'm, I'm not challenging you all to go and, and move to a third world country and start a ministry. Okay? That's not what this is about, but I'm challenging you to go out and make disciples because that is what Jesus has called us to do, to go out, make disciples, okay? baptize, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then he promises to be with us as we do that. So we're not doing this on our own. Jesus isn't just leaving it up to us to go out and make this, because that's hard, right? It's hard to approach people. It's hard just to go and talk about Jesus, especially in this culture where people are, are, there's animosity towards God. And so it's hard to just go out and talk about it. But Jesus promises to be with us through the whole thing. He promises to be with us all the way. And so uh, a very practical next step to do that is to go through the mentor training. And again, we have one today at 1230. Uh, oh, there is a slide for, let me forward this. There we go. So mentor training, it's today after the second service, 12.30 to 2. Lunch will be provided. That, that gets everybody there as long as there's lunch, right? So again, Jesus has called us to make disciples. That's how we grow his kingdom. That's how we grow the church. That's how we continue to be faithful and listen to what God has commanded us to do. That's how we live a life that honors God is by being obedient to what Jesus has said. So that's the challenge today. Who was pivotal in your life, in your pursuit 
and who will name you as being pivotal in their walk. Let's pray together.